I'm standing in waist deep water. The rope was strong enough to slow my fall, but not strong enough to break my neck. So I'm relatively unhurt. I have a scar on my neck and my foot hurts a little bit. And I just went off a 40 foot bridge. I'm standing there in the water wondering why I am alive. Hey there, my name is Sean, and this is Suicide Noted. On this podcast, I talk with suicide attempt survivors so that we can hear their stories. Every year around the world, millions of people try to take their own lives, and we almost never talk about it. And when we do talk about it, many of us, including me, we're not very good at it. So one of my goals with this podcast is to have more conversations and hopefully better conversations with attempt survivors. I am going to keep trying. Now, we are talking about suicide, so this may not be a good fit for everyone. Please take that into account before you listen. I do hope you listen because there is so much to learn. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to share your story, I'd love to talk. Please reach out. Hello at SuicideNoted.com or on Facebook or Twitter at SuicideNoted. I want to thank all of our attempt survivors who have joined me on this podcast, who have shared so openly and honestly, and to everyone who continues to listen every week to these stories by these survivors. I really appreciate it. Thank you for all of your support. In addition to listening, if you want to help us out, there's a few other things you can do. One, you could let people know about this podcast. Two, you can rate or review this podcast if you listen on Apple Podcasts. That really does help people find it. And finally, you can make a financial contribution, a one-time contribution or an ongoing contribution. I'll put that information in the show notes. Whatever kind of support you'd like to offer, we really appreciate it. So again, thank you. Today, I am talking with Lance. Lance lives right here in North Carolina, and he is a suicide attempt survivor. Hey, Lance, let's jump right in. Two-part question. How did you find the podcast and then... Why did you want to talk to me? Uh, I found the podcast on Facebook. I had a moment, I don't know what you would call the opposite of an epiphany, but something, whatever the opposite of epiphany is, mm. after I survived. So I'm standing in waist deep water. The rope was strong enough to slow my fall, but not strong enough to break my neck. Right. So I'm relatively unhurt. I have a scar on my neck and my foot hurts a little bit. And I just, went off a 40 foot bridge and standing there in the water wondering why I am alive. It's not an epiphany and, though. What is it? Yeah. You know, it's the opposite of an epiphany. It's a heightened sense of a momentary heightened sense of the full blown knowledge of how little you actually know. Mm-hmm. That's what I would put it. No, but in a way that's also an epiphany. Okay. I had, a, I had an epiphany as to how much I didn't know. Most people have to wonder why they're alive once. I had to wonder twice. And so I thought about all the people that day that had tried to kill themselves and they did it. Right. Some did. Yep. Well, if they, yep. Yep. Some yep. Did, right? yep. yep. You know, so any chance I get to try to, so far I can count on one hand the number of people I've, I've helped and hopefully steer in the right direction to get help um, to be that intermediate step between uh, that awkward phase where you're subconsciously or semi-consciously asking for help uh, before you attempt or you're really in a bad place and you can't. So far, about, about five people I've helped get help. I'm by no means a doctor, but I'm like, they call me, they say, Lance, whatever, and I say, let's go get help or whatever, and we do that. And that seems to be what I should do for the privilege of still walking around. I have some kind of severe clinical depression. Okay. I've been diagnosed with several different flavors of it from monopolar to just depression, um, seasonal, seasonal affective disorder. Whatever. Uh, moving to North Carolina seems to clear everything up. Where, where'd you move from? New Hampshire. When do you recall the first time you were like, I might, something's wrong. I was about nine. 
Okay, so this is going back a ways. I was told that they were not panic attacks. I would just have crying fits. Okay. I would just break down and I would cry. And uh, I remember them starting right about when I was nine or 10 years old. Uh, just a sensitive, just one of those sensitive kids. Um, I always took things the wrong way. I always took things in a very dark way. It became became normal around my teenage years okay. to uh, what they would call now suicidal idolation. There's always a plan B. If today is really tough, I can always in my teens and some events and reaching out and breaking down. And then uh, it only got worse and more deep and intermittent as I grew older. And I always hit it, always hit it, you know, didn't come out and admit things. And uh, it got just worse and worse. And I got withdrawal from my wife, my children. Were you trying to treat it in any way with medication, be it, be it legal or otherwise, uh, therapy, whatever? I was, I looked out in that I did not try to self-medicate in any illegal way. I can't tell you why. It's not like I didn't have access to it. I'm just one of those guys where it's hard for me to finish a beer. Really? You know? <laughs> yeah, I'll come in hot summer day. I'll come in. I have like one beer and I'm like, mm, you know, that's, that's enough. But just not a, not a drinker. Might be a um, blessing, yeah? Yeah, probably a blessing. New Hampshire's cold and dark. I fix heat for a living. I go through a lot of jobs. So, but it's it's brutal work. You know, you were in a snowsuit and shoveling stuff out and going into basements and fixing boilers and things. And there's not a lot of sunlight. I've come withdrawn from uh, Christina, my wife, and the kids. And uh, I've done irreparable harm to to those relationships. Really, I think, um, especially my daughter Charlotte, who almost won't have anything to do with me. Try to fix that, but um, it, so are you still married, Lance? I'm in the last phases of a divorce. I was separated for several years down here in North Carolina. It was one of those weird things, change of venue things. After after the 14th different um, antidepressant and the fourth or fifth hospitalization, for me it seemed that institutionalization was more about keeping everybody else safe than helping me. Yeah, uh, often. Yeah, makes sense. You're right. Well, for example, after my attempt, it took me three days of waiting in the hospital to get a bed. Ditto. Yep. And, and then even after I got in, uh, it was 10 days. New Hampshire State Mental Institution. Oh, you're up up north. Um, and but and then you get a big bill. That doesn't help your mental health too much, does you get it? A bill. It was a I would describe it as a slow spiral. And I did reach out for help. My poor, long suffering first wife Christina had to return three or four shotguns that I had bought. And I was hospitalized three times voluntarily. You try to get help and, and you take meds and you try to work and different meds and things never quite took. And it was always there. And then uh, it just got me. It just got me. Were you, what, what was your age range when this was going on? Like you were talking about your was, first wife and the hospitalizations. That was in my uh, 30s. So it's and been going then, on for uh, some time. Uh, it's a lifestyle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess ironic to call suicide a lifestyle, but Arthur C. Clarke said, life is wonderful and death is peaceful. It's transition that's the problem. <laughs> that's right. They don't make it easy, Lance. No, no, no it can't make it easy. So late 30s, hospitalizations, trying to get yeah. help, still keeping it very private. And then the, all the privacy stuff after my attempt and in the, in the, in going to the state hospital, being involuntarily committed, that all... I just stopped being private about it and because it felt ridiculous to be alive. If you did that 10 times, nine times out of 10, you know, knock yourself out, swallow some water, dead, break your back, break your legs to me. And I, I shouldn't be here. So, you know, to be private about it seems wrong on, on a lot of levels, basically. And you tried, formally tried, however you define that, once? Well, I would get as far as buying the shotgun and the ammo. And going someplace quiet up on a nice hilltop that me and my dad used to go hiking on. I got about that far twice. Mm-hmm. And I would call Christine. And I would go to a hospital for a couple of day, days, not weeks. Right. Thank you, Dave. In and out. If you break a leg, they could take an x-ray and say the leg is still broken. The leg is healed. People don't have a dipstick in the back of their neck for serotonin levels. 
Right. And even if we did, we can't tell you what normal is. It's out of some Woody Allen sketch that they sit you down and say, Lance, do you hear voices? Do you want to hurt yourself? Do you want to hurt other people? Now, I mean, they could just ask you, Lance, do you want to leave the hospital? Because that's what they're really asking you encoded in those three questions. So silly, right? Uh, yeah, sure. After four or five of those, and then another trip back to the hospital, even after my attempt, I only made it six, eight months out of the hospital after my attempt from the bridge that I went back. What was different about your life or the events leading up to the bridge, which I don't know how you define attempt, but is the, the most attempt of the attempts, right? The closest you came. I would drive over that bridge every day. Right. Now there are bridges in Manchester and we lived in Manchester. I didn't think about bridges in Manchester, but I thought about this bridge. Where was this bridge? Piscataqua River Bridge. Did something happen that day or was it just the right day? Do you know? It was the right day. Mm -hmm. It was a peaceful, sunny day. I would try to explain to people that don't have depression. Like if you saw somebody who was on fire, jump off a bridge you'd go well they're on fire that's they're trying to you know reasonable response so imagine being emotionally on fire i can't explain i mean it's hard um, it's hard you, yeah you gotta get creative with your language about how to make it connect with people right yeah i um i'm like what's the saddest you've been right and they'll say oh, okay now imagine that same sadness not connected to anything Mm-hmm. It's not your grandmother died or someone ran over your dog. Okay. It feels that bad, but it's not connected to anything at all. I had a very angry physical form of depression where I had some physical body aches mm. and anger to it and things. Yeah. And I had the plan and, the, and, and, and why not now? And you did it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So sometimes it seems like a million years ago, and sometimes it seems like it was 15 minutes ago. So just to be clear, uh, you tried to jump off of a bridge, correct? I tied a noose on my neck, Yeah. tied it to the bridge, and jumped off the bridge. What actually happened? I know you mentioned it. What actually happened? They think the rope was strong enough to slow me down, but not strong enough to break my neck. So it took up a bunch of energy and snapped and right. dropped me lovingly in the water without enough momentum to hurt my legs. And then what happened? Uh, I rolled around in the water. <laughs> I stood up and I took the noose off. Really strangely, this is exactly what happened. There was some chubby firefighter in like a bike helmet and a life vest. And he was in this repurposed bass boat that the Franklin Fire Department has. And they came over and I was standing. That's what I mean. I was standing in wasting water. And they threw me a rope. <laughs> did did they happen to be there or did someone call them um time is a little bit iffy there's some okay. black period after i jumped you roll around the water stand up cough sneeze whatever pull the water up get the rope off my neck and then it feels like a one two three count then this rope appears in front of me Not, it's a little fuzzy it could have been a war right because i don't um, know we don't know was that like, is that a place where people are hanging out or was no one around? No, no, no. They had to they had to put it down a boat ramp that was a little bit further down. So it must have been some period of time. Yeah, didn't have real good concept of time. Understandable. I always ask this question, you know, what's it like to want to be that close to, to killing yourself? And then you wake up or whatever the equivalent of that is in this case, and you're still here. It's like, are you like, what the fuck? Are you angry? Are you relieved? Are you? I was very, I was very angry. Yeah. Because I have been very, I'm a very private person, or at least was at the time. And I tried to quietly go away and do it. And then all of a sudden I was a spectacle. I was very angry at myself. And then I was very, I was, I was, I was genuinely afraid because there was a lot of testosterone on the, on the side of the Franklin, you know, Firefighters and the cops are there. This crazy, wet, long-haired guy. <laughs> you know, a little bit spooky. I asked to be handcuffed. Followed the rope to the boat, and I got in the boat, and I asked to be handcuffed, and then I was put into an ambulance. And um, they talked about me like I wasn't there. Yep. Check is this, check is that. 
these medical people ran their hands all over me looking for broken bones. And the only thing hurt on me was my the heel of my left foot and the scar on my neck. You know, anger, fear, humiliation, just awestruck, really. I didn't think it would never occur to me that, that could happen. What that you could try or that you would live? That that the rope would dynamically break my fall, but not my neck. <laughs> He's standing there like a jackass. Do you think that was um, divine intervention? It certainly meets uh, the criteria in my mind for something like that. And I've had people, lots of people tell me, oh, there's a reason you're here. There's a reason you're here. Like, well, okay. So let's assume that they're right and assume there's a reason I'm here. And what, what should I do? Yeah, try to help people. For me, having depression, the face of depression for middle-aged white guys isn't that, strangely enough, is not that well, well represented. You see ads and things. It's, you know, young women and teenage kids, you know, and stuff like that. But a lot of middle-aged white guys is off themselves. Yes. It really isn't talked about a lot. And there's the whole guy code thing, you know, oh, I don't need help. And uh, I think some of the stigma is actually from some of the advertising. Um, because so many people with depression use drugs and alcohol, if you have depression and you're not an alcoholic or a druggie, you're not a young teenage girl, you know what I mean? You don't, you don't see yourself in the, in the literature. You don't see yourself in the education. You don't see yourself publicity of it. I mean, you can't even get a guy to go get their colon checked. Mm-hmm. You know, let alone go talk to somebody about their feelings. Me, you know, middle-aged men are also very, uh, as a percentage, and for lack of a better word, more successful when they try. One reason being yeah. they use guns. Yeah. Part of this yeah. very complicated paradigm, but it makes sense what you're saying. I wanted to go talk about my attempt with the New Hampshire State Police. I thought they would find it very edifying. And I was told no uncertain terms that they're fine and that they have an outreach program and an 800 number and they have a psychologist on staff who was also an officer to help the troopers. I'm like what a crock of shit, really. The, the most likely person to shoot a police officer is themselves. And then you have, you know, vet techs that put animals down every day because people can't afford to fix them. And they're offing themselves all over the place. And people don't really uh, talk about that much because um, it's an introverted thing. Mm-hmm. The public likes to engage when there's a possibility that it could affect them. You know, if someone goes out and kills five people in a public place, they go, wow, I shop at that mall. Or wow, my kid goes to school. If someone quietly goes off and offs himself, I'm sure there's some people that think there should be less middle-aged white people. So, you know. They're probably. (laughs) I find it really interesting when I engage with someone in a conversation that clearly is uncomfortable. For example, if I'm sharing something that I'm dealing with, you suck at that. And you're, you're either unaware or you don't want to make some really minor tweaks just to create a space for someone to talk, but you're going to be that champion, you know, making sure everyone knows about that 1-800 crisis line. And I'm thinking, that's cool. I mean, of course, put that out on your social media, but man, yeah. I just heard you and you have like, you're invalidating the shit out of me, man. Yeah. You're just doing all this. Why like, you know, all the crap that people say, all the things that even if they're well-intentioned, it just doesn't help. And it just makes me think like, huh, go figure. Okay. I mean, I don't know what I'm saying here, Lance, or if it makes sense. What I'm saying is that is the media is not helping men with depression, except veterans groups, because they're, they're, you'll see veterans getting help mm-hmm. and they pick regular looking soldier type people. Okay. And we need more of that for, for regular folks. Because yeah. when they talk about depression and, it, and they depict people with depression, they're not depicting the spectrum of people. And the, and the it, it's a bell curve thing. It's the young and the old. old. It's, it's someplace where middle-aged white guys are underrepresented. Yeah. You know? maybe, I can, maybe I can get some women's activists to help me with that and make things equal. And there's probably some reason why it's that way, but I don't know if it, I just, it, it makes me wonder. Yeah. 
There's some fundamental, I'm not a psychologist by any means, but there's something fundamentally different in how men and women get sad. More women get depression, perhaps, or they're more sensitive to it, mm-hmm. but it seems that men act more effectively on it. I mean, the numbers of women attempting suicide are quite high. It's just that the men are more effective at it. So right. and you're, you're so talking about something much broader about depression, but I forget. Men and women attempt suicide about the same rate, right? But men kill themselves, complete the task more often. Correct. Right? Yep. Right. Women try with pills. That doesn't work very often. Women try with pills. I mean, I, I, I'm generalizing, but that's the most common way. How many people to this day know about your suicide attempt from the bridge? Well, I tried to make it as many people as possible. Um, I did that by having uh, Frank Duckler from the Concord Monitor pick me up from the hospital um, and do a story about it. And I, I was so disgusted by everything in there and everything going on and with myself and my family not with my family, with what I had done to my family, mm-hmm. trying to hide all. And I'm like, enough is enough. You know, and I was being told, oh, you're never going to work again in your chosen profession. Because I was a gas fitter in New Hampshire. I, I would I was licensed to fix gas appliances. Why wouldn't a suicide attempt preclude you from doing that work? Oh, I was told that you, you know, by people who didn't know what they were talking about, that I couldn't work in my chosen profession anymore, probably. It was just disability and take a bunch of lithium and sit on a couch the rest of my life. And uh, you can't tell people about this and all that. And did I get a little flack, a little weirdness? Yes. But um, essentially, I got checked out by a doctor, kept my chosen profession, and I went back to work after yeah. I got out. So most people do. I mean, they have to get back to their lives, right? They got to eat food and it's, yeah. Right. Well, I mean, but I think if I think if I had done this in 1950, mm-hmm. yeah, with the way the state hospitals were, I would have been on Thorazine or something, mm-hmm. you know, dramatic like that. Yeah. So everybody, everybody knows. It sounds like you've had a lot of people, you've had a lot of conversations with people that uh, I don't know if they're well-intentioned or not. I don't know how to gauge that, but if you're anything like most people, people say stupid shit. Yeah, it's fine. I don't understand it all myself, John. Mm. Uh, people come up to me and talk to me about talk to me about angels or uh, see a light or things like that. And I'm like, no. <laughs> why are you alive? And why is my brother dead? Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't know. How are people doing this? Do you have like a social media space? And where, where does this happen? There was a. Uh, some letters and things from the newspaper article. Okay, gotcha. And then I would do talks about those in Toastmasters. I do talks about it, and I would get these zero and ten reactions. Oh, Jesus. So I, I would. Some people would be like, "Thank you for talking about this. We need to reduce the stigma. Silence is death." You know, all these people, and then there are other people going you're not a doctor. How dare you talk about this? People are going to jump off bridges because you're irresponsibly talking about it. Like they can catch it. And I'm of two minds. I'm of two minds. I do talk about, hey, I'm not going to ask people to raise their hands. All right. But if you're on, this is what I'm going to talk about. And if you're uncomfortable about it, you could just go, you know. Absolutely. You can leave. You can leave. You can and, leave. Uh, if you feel unsafe and you feel bound up and triggered right now, hold on. We're going to do the talk. Yeah. And after the talk, go to me and we'll get you help right now. If you recognize what we're talking about here today, I'm not a doctor, but I'm not going to leave anybody hanging. Sure. You know, and, and, and things like that. But um, yeah, zero and 10 reaction. You know, there's still people that whisper the word cancer like it can hear you. Well, what happened to Mary? She got cancer. Remember the cancer? Mental health issues are uh, highly stigmatized. I feel so lucky to be alive, mm-hmm. and I'm mean, so so awestruck by the fact that I walked away from something so incredibly stupid that it feels dishonest not to tell everybody about it in a demure New Hampshire type of way. How long have you been living in North Carolina? 
uh, about three years. Is it any different down here? Oh, it's like night and day. Okay. Night and day. I was in a semi-fugue state, and a friend of mine was down here. And said, Come on down to North Carolina. It's great. Live here for rent free. I was casting about for some sort of solution and uh, decided to try just to change venue. And instead of crawling back home, my tail between my legs a week later, I blossomed down here. Are you uh, enjoying it? I am not, yeah, I'm not on any meds. I don't have depression. I don't think about killing myself. What? Uh, what? Well, what changed? Uh, is it just location or is it a little bit of serendipity with like we don't know had you stayed else maybe this would still be happening and things would be good but we don't know right because we can't know that i think it is a lot to do with sunlight in my case ah maybe so and i just had a more positive experience down here and a clean slate down here jennifer the woman i'm seeing now is wonderful she keeps me on the straight and narrow she's very honest with me she helps a lot my soon-to-be ex-wife uh, Christina has been awesome. We're communicating better and, and, and healing things up as much as we can. I mean, I, I, I destroyed everything. I burned every bridge with bad decisions back in New Hampshire, but she's been a great co-parenting with the kids. And my two sons, Owen and Jeremy, are great. We're trying to fix that stuff up. And Charlotte was probably would probably kill me just for saying your name on a podcast, trying to fix things up there. You know, that's where it is. I wish I, I I do. I mean, I write about it and I think about it and it comes back to me, you know, as a technician, when we're going to fix something, the question you're asking is what changed? Why does this machine work? Something changed, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. The set mechanical thing, something changed. That doesn't work. I went from that situation down here where I was being told, oh, you have to take meds the rest of your life. You have to go to therapy the rest of your life. And group therapy, good too, Lance. And, uh, you know, you're always going to have this thing, you know, waiting in the back of your head to kill you to not having it anymore um, down here and not having it in Connecticut either. I'm in Connecticut, Connecticut and New Hampshire are just about as dreary, same dreariness. Right. The mystery number three. Why am I here? Why am I here again? And, and why am I better? I wish I could tell you and then recognize the pattern in other people and help them. Sure. I will say. My best theory is, is that there are many people in bad situations that are taking medications instead of changing their life. Sure. If you were meant to be an impressionist or an accountant and you go to work every day doing something that crushes your soul. How could you not you be depressed? Be right. That would be you a very be. bizarre response if you weren't depressed. And you take the money and, you know, you pay your mortgage and you want to get kids into the school and you self-sacrifice to the point where you crush yourself. Of course you need a pill. I've never encountered a psychiatrist who, where you wouldn't leave with a pill. Mm -hmm. If if you go to a pizzeria, you're going to leave with a pizza. If you go to, you know, to go to a barbershop, except you, Sean, you're going to get a haircut. This is, Um, I, I do this all myself, man. It's great. If you go to Baskin Robbins, there's 32 different, flavors but you're going to leave with an ice cream people are going to their doctors and they're getting pills yes it's a big part of medicine uh our doctor's asking hey sean what do you do for a living oh i'm an accountant lent good doctors do that they do yes okay well there probably aren't a lot of them but yes the good ones they're aware of that but i think they're hard to come by what's the term blocked wish thing that they talk about i don't know having a block can be really bad for you. Give me this sort of metaphysical tumor, basically. Yeah. When you were giving your talks, what was the uh, like main takeaway in those talks? What was like the point? Uh, the point was is that we need more bad examples to come forward, mm-hmm. and and to stop doing this thing where we have these people that never really had problems give advice. So you were really trying so, to speak to people who are suffering. And maybe, hey, if you speak up, it'll help. Yeah, yeah. In their regular lives, regular livelihood people, you know. People look sideways at the a-hole trust fund baby who climbed Mount Everest. Or they might respect an astronaut. But can you relate to an astronaut? This is 
story writing you know I mean? or speech crafting 101 we there's a myth around yeah. we don't fucking give a shit about the astronaut who went to the moon we don't relate to that we relate with people's struggles and flaws and don't believe the marketing fucking hype around these bullshit <laughs> stories of the your triumphs it's a myth it's yeah. not true i spend a lot of time in the world of story and uh and i know it works i know it relates and that doesn't i love storytelling and i would much rather hear the stories of a, a guy who's a, who's a whose father immigrated from greece and he was a mechanic sure. how the son learned to be a mechanic and now they have three garages and how they grew a business in america and all the horrible things that happened and things like that that's a guy who you would listen to and when they when the guy says hey you know maybe you should talk to somebody <laughs> they would listen to him and they would go talk to somebody we live in a world that has a billion channels and nothing is on mm-hmm. and what expands into that are or are know nothing people that are famous for being famous mm-hmm. um influencers people who create content with a very small c and then they latch on to whatever buzzword is flying by him at the time and someone will kill themselves and they'll all go oh suicide awareness this week you know and everyone will be talking about suicide. yep 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 and and, and they'll put up every trope of you know crazy of the people that don't do it that much or that effectively or you know they say call this 800 number donate five dollars and on to the next buzzword and it's um it's not it's not that great but we're humans we like stories we relate to stories and uh unfortunately the craft of storytelling has been spun into marketing yep somebody else writes a story and someone other talking head tells a story and then someone films the story and then they you know When's the last time you sat at a kitchen table and had someone who did it tell you the story that happened to them? I do it every day. It's my life. Yeah, I love that stuff. Yeah. You know, the first that's thing I do is work with, yeah. you know, when I worked with old plumbers, I'd always be asking them, what's the worst thing that ever happened on the job? You know, yeah. What's the worst helper you had? Um, and we need those about depression, where is, is, is am I perfect? No. Have I made horrible mistakes? Yes. Mm-hmm. Am I am I uh, now an astronaut? No, I'm a regular guy working a job. But you know, I've got three ungrateful children and an ex-wife, and uh, I feel lucky to have three kids that don't talk to me that much. And an ex-wife, you know, life is great and goes on even in its brutal, wart and pimply reality. Enough of the the lifetime movies about depression you know or, mm-hmm. you know what i mean where you know they're always you know a world famous novelist or something <laughs> regular people have it and it kills a lot of regular people a lot a lot of people try man i started this podcast in july you will be mm-hmm. like episode number whatever 57 okay when i first started it was twice a week now it's once a week because i got involved with some other stuff Millions of people try to kill themselves every year. That is plural. That is fact. Now, they're not all English speakers, and they might not all have Wi-Fi, but there's a fuckload of people who could be on this podcast, and they're not. And I and a lot of them just don't know about it, but there's also a lot of people that just don't want to talk about it. I get it. That's all good, man. Only join me here if you want to. You're able to. But it's astounding how few people talk about it. Yeah, like they they just won't talk about it. So anyway, I mean, I thank you. You are in the great minority, but hey, you know, chip away. If you ever run into a, if you ever run into a group of people, I got a YouTube channel, and I've tried to record the speeches I would give, and then record my progress with stand up. Is your humor centered on the struggle, on the depression, on the suicide, or is it other stuff? I have done shows that were specifically geared towards traumedy. Mm-hmm. People doing comedy sets about bad things that happened to them. I have that video. And then I have the talk I gave at Toastmasters, which had the zero and 10 response thing. Like, okay. thank you and how dare you. And then I have, 
I, I have material written about suicide, but learning stand-up mm-hmm. and seeing audiences, I have yet to see an audience and go, yeah, these people want to hear about suicide. I see a lot of self-congratulatory comics that get up there and you immediately know how they identify all the way across the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Right. And do humor about that, mm-hmm. you know? And I remember, uh, you know, Ralphie May, the comic, the big, sure, guy. big guy. Yeah. R- Ralphie May was doing a lot of fat jokes and the other fat comics in the region got together with him and said, Hey, do you, do you want to be, a fat comic or, or, or do you, do you want to be a really good comic that happens to be fat? So I don't want to be a white comic or a male comic or a fat guy comic or a bearded comic or a suicide comic. I want to be a good comic. Yeah. Try to be a funny comic. Try to be funny first. Right. Steve Martin's advice is first get good. Be so good. They can't ignore you know, you don't need the picture and the website and the Instagram. And first, get good. Yeah. Okay. So I'm learning not to suck. Writing and writing and writing and writing. And someday I'll have a beautiful tight five about suicide. Com- writing comedy about suicide is actually pretty easy. The tough part is the confidence and the attitude and couching the material so that people know that, that you aren't being flagrantly disrespectful or, or abusive. When people come to you, you said in the beginning that you've helped five people. What did you help them with? What did they need from you, do you think? In two instances, I recognize that somebody wasn't in a position to easily ask for help. Okay. And I said, hey, they see my stand-up or, or my talk or whatever, and I'm like, Hey, D, are you okay? You need some help. And they weren't. They weren't okay. And so we went and got help. Uh, three other instances, I like to call it the classic 2 a.m. phone call. There were people that were more comfortable calling me and saying, hey, Lance, do you think I need to go to the hospital? By the way, if anyone ever calls you and says, hey, Sean, do you think I need to go to the hospital? The answer is always yes. It's almost always yes. Uh, <laughs> you know, and then you have a comedy bit right there. People want to feel safe and they want to have validation and they want to have backup on their decisions. And if you're making a scary decision that you know you need to do, you're going to ask somebody, hey, should I do this? It takes a lot of bravery just to ask. And so you need to help those people and, 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 and get them into, into help, you know. Yeah, so three of those times were people calling me up out of the blue. And, you know, because I do, I do tell people, yeah, I had depression and stuff. That's what mm-hmm. And, and they reached out to me and says, you know, well, when you had depression and you were above the bridge, did you do this? I go, are you thinking about killing yourself? And like, well, you know, I've thought about it, but you know, I go, well, you know, you, where are you? You know, what? I'll come, you know, pick you up. Let's, let's go talk to somebody, you know, no big deal. It doesn't have to be, you know, but don't, don't let them off the phone and, and don't make sure someone's with them and, and get them help, you know, and uh, that it feels good that uh, hopefully helped a couple of people, several people bridge that gap between suffering alone mm-hmm. and getting help. The terrible, terrible gap right there. The space between feeling alone and getting help is a big one. That's where we lose a lot of people. Yeah. That's why it's so terrible. If you ever do a talk about it, there's no real good way. I'm not about turning the lights off or I'm going to leave the stage and, you know, give the warning and let people leave without being, but how do you leave a group of people without being seen? And if you're going to give a talk that might trigger folks or, or whatever, you give a preamble and say, you know, if you don't want to hear about this stuff, you can leave. Yeah. Humans are not programmed to get up a bunch of a bunch of people and leave and never have everyone staring sure. at you. Going, oh, well, you, oh. you're, you're right. You are, you are in a you're spot where you're, you're putting them in a position, but they're yeah. adults. I know you're not asking me, but I, this is what I feel. They're adults. They can leave. When you're talking about stuff we don't talk about, you you will get pushback. If you didn't get pushback, we'd be talking about it. There's a reason why people don't talk about it. So if you're not getting pushback, arguably, you're not talking about it enough or in the right way. You should be getting. Now, it doesn't mean 
you should be saying fucking stupid shit going out of your way to be triggering. No, but so yes, you have to be aware, but man, if everyone's just sitting there like, Hmm, yeah, no. Wow. That's very powerful. I don't know if you're really getting through to them. You know, they're just being nice. We're going to know that racism is gone when race is considered like being left-handed. No one gives a crap if you're left-handed or right-handed. People right. used to. That's how we're going to know. And for as an example, I encountered two things, right? Both ends of the bell curve, like I said. People come up and say, thank you. And people come up and say, don't do that again. That's how I know that I'm at the edge. <laughs> if you went on a stage and took a big shit, right? People would say, don't do that again. <laughs> so by them saying, don't do but that again, cannot be the only be, way to measure it. There'd be 1% of the population that would love it. Just because somebody's not liking it doesn't mean it's 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 effective, right? That can't be the only way to measure it. But I think if you've got people that are coming up to you saying, thanks for sharing that, or can I talk to you? That's all you need, man. No? Yeah. I get up there and I say, listen, I'm not here to talk to everybody. That's right. I'm here to talk to probably about a couple of you. Probably. You know? You know, and then, and then you know, the and I'm here to actually talk to them and the people that they know around right. that are going to be affected by it. You know, you talk to 100 people, there's four or five people in there that, are, that have thought about it that week, you know? Maybe, oh, yeah, and that week, yes, okay. There's a gun, there's a, some rope, you know, some pills, there's a sort of a plan, you know, report cards are going to come out or Christmas or you're going to break up or... You're going to lose the house and they say, oh, well, if that happens, you know, and and then the tipping point, they're out there. And yeah. the, the funny thing about suicide is, is that we we tell people we're going to kill ourselves and then people say they don't believe it. I mean, it's sort of weird. It's like we listen to everything else people say, you know, and if you went up to somebody later, say, hey, did you know your father was going to go to the laundromat and then maybe get a sandwich? And he went and did it. People wouldn't go. Oh, he talked about it, but I had no idea he would actually do it. You know, we just people say they're going to kill themselves, right? You do research on this. Most people talk about it. They tell somebody. I think it's you know. always worth it. You should always believe people, period. Now, yeah. does that mean that there are times that people say it and don't mean it? Of course. There are people that cheat the welfare system. Most don't. Right. There are people that lie about disability. Most don't. There are people that say in casual, whatever reasons there are, but the, it doesn't matter. Believe people. However, this is me on my little soapbox now. I think a huge mistake we make is assuming that if you, Lance, tell me I'm really thinking about killing myself, my first response is we need to get you help. I think we need to get you help. But I, in this moment, can be someone that can be there for you. Not a doctor, not nope. a miracle worker. I'm a guy nope. who might be able to create a space for you to just get something off your chest. And when we immediately say, let's go to a doctor, let's call 911 or call this 1-800 number or blah, blah, blah. Yep. You're jumping the gun unless somebody literally has a fucking gun in their hand, which then I don't know what the fuck to do. It's not my milieu. I don't know what to say act fast and pray and just try to get the gun out of their hands. Short of that, yeah. nobody's going to kill themselves in this moment. Take a fucking breath. Mostly shut the fuck up yeah. and let someone talk. 90% of the time, that's what they need in that moment. Yes, tomorrow maybe we got to go for a drive. Okay. Listen, listening is a skill. It's in short, short, sort of a short supply. So underappreciated. Listening and compassion are way up there. What's the problem is we've turned all this stuff, all these things into what we should say, into sort of tropes. Yep, 100%. You know, Sean, if you ever need anything, just give me a ring, Sean, right? How many people say that to you, right? How many of those people would you actually call at two in the morning with problems? We have gotten very good at disguising the way we invalidate people. Really good with platitudes, the ways we sort of subtly with nuance sometimes minimize or deflect. They don't seem that bad, but they're very bad. 
I'm talking to the people that are doing more harm because it appears as if they're trying to help or really care. Those are the people that are concerning to me. The guy who's like fucking depressed people are all lame. Like you're just a dick. It, it's Fuck. the it's the um, human resource department's authority figures in, in, in minor institutions. Friends, um, colleagues, people you meet at a dance class. I get it. But it's a horribly uncomfortable thing to talk about. We've normalized awful, awful listening has become normal and bullshit has become normal. Yeah. And there's all kinds of vulnerable people that people are championing now who are very vulnerable to suicide. You know, everyone's talking about the LGBT community and the rates of suicide for those poor people trying to figure everything out is incredibly high. Right. Um, I think that would cause more awareness about it. I don't, I don't understand. I don't think that people on a sort of day-to-day micro level think that they can do much. And I think they're really wrong. Yeah. I, I I'm not dress go to a really March. Stupid. You could go March. I mean, that's good. You raise money. Yeah, that's okay. I'm talking about Great. when somebody in your life, most people aren't going to go to anybody back. I want to, I'm not talking about the conversations. I'm thinking of killing myself. So that would be included. I'm just talking about your days every day. Man, if people just literally didn't respond right away and gave it like a, a three second or five second gap, just that would be a game changer. Just like just recognition. That would change things. Just that. Just start there. Listen, listen more, talk less. You know, two two ears, one mouth. The other the other problem I have with having depression is that everyone seems to have it now. Yeah, everyone is, is, has all these afflictions. Like they couldn't sell enough heart meds. So now there's people that have heart disease. Now there's people that have pre-heart disease yeah. and pre-diabetes. I had clinical depression. I wanted to die every fucking day. I couldn't get out of bed. Other people were just sad or didn't feel so good. So they might as well put the stuff in the tap water and just you know get it over with. Because we're all depressed. We're all neurotic. We're all depressed. We're all irrational. I'm like, no, we're not. I was in the hospital with some crazy motherfuckers. You guys are have some little problem, you know, but you're not, you know, you know, you're not depressed. I mean, did you get up this morning? Did you go to work? It waters it, it down. What people don't water down is suicide. Mm-hmm. Nobody wa- no one has dared yet to water down suicidal idolation. I'm a little <laughs> suicidal today. I'm a little suicidal today. I'm gonna call in to work. It's a different uh, beast entirely. One is yeah. a condition. The other is a possible death. It's totally different. Yeah. Like, I get uh, that ideating is a mental state, much like depression, but yeah. mental health language has been watered down and poured like gravy over everything. And so everyone now has a diagnosis, not just, you know, a bad day. How many goth chicks that have Twitter accounts? Mm-hmm say that they're on the autism spectrum. They're like, oh, come on, Blair. You're really not on the How big is that spectrum, girl? The last people that have rights are the insane. You, you can't use ethnic slurs. You can't use racial slurs. You can't use religious slurs. You can't Down syndrome. You can't call people bad names that have Down syndrome. You can't, Get it. you know. Um, but crazy? What are you crazy? Do you will will you call people on that? I'll I'll call them on it when it's really embarrassing and funny, so I know that it sticks. I had a counselor that I saw that shook my hand and said, "Hang in there." And I said, "Really, Charles? Hang in there." But that's a little different because that's an actual expression that means something totally different. Right. That ADHD, ADD, OCD. And I can't prove that you don't have it. It's not my place. You might. It's just a weird way to communicate your impatience, for example, your forgetfulness. And you're using this for some people that that is the reason they ended up killing themselves. Those conditions can be brutal. At least people don't say obese so much. They say, you know, they say they're fat. People don't get clinical obese. But um, yeah, they're putting everything on a spectrum and everyone's sick and everyone needs to in beds. And it's tiring. It's tiring because it's it's to some degree it adds the stigma or keeps the stigma around because it still is totally bona fide okay to uh, make fun of white people 
and crazy people. Sucks for you, Lance. Uh, yeah, because I'm white and crazy. So, <laughs> I was going to actually ask you earlier, do you think you're crazy? Well, there's two kinds, two definitions. Do I know the difference between right and wrong? Yes, I do. Do I do the same thing over and over again and expect a different result? No. So I don't, I don't know really if those are the those. real definitions or the ones that people have just become used to saying, but maybe so. Those are the two I've, I've found. No, I am more passionate than regular people. And mm-hmm. I think I am more aware of the fact that we are all going to die. I stand up in front of audiences and I dress in an outlandish manner. And the first thing I say is, the question isn't why I am dressed like this, living my best life. The question is, why are all you boring motherfuckers dressed like that? We have a finite amount of time on the planet and, and people act like they're going to live forever. And they're really boring, horribly boring. They're going to start living when they retire. When they're 65. I, I, what, do you dress outlandishly? Oh, yeah. I got a... I got some tuxedos and I got like a peacock uh, or something. Got a no, like a, not a peacock, but well, I mean, I got a. Uh, I usually wear some of my gangster track suits to the open mics. I got a nice Gucci track suit. <laughs> I'm a fat guy. Thanks again. Have a beautiful evening. Thank Here you, Lance. Great. Appreciate you uh, joining and, and talking and sharing and all that good stuff, man. And seriously, I want you to seriously, Sean. Yes. Okay. All seriousness. Okay. Are you listening? Yes. You shouldn't the fuck up? Yes. Okay. Okay. So you can call me anytime you want. Appreciate that. It could be it could be an HVAC question or okay. it could be anything. Okay. Really. All right. Nobody. Thanks, man. Shoot you. Have a beautiful evening. You too, boo. Be well. Bye. As always, thanks so much for listening and all of your support. And special thanks to Lance right here in North Carolina. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to talk, please reach out. Hello at SuicideNoted.com or on social media at Suicide Noted. And remember, if you listen on Apple, please help us out. Take a moment right now. Rate and review this podcast. It really does help. Thank you. That is all for episode number 56. Stay strong. Do the very best you can. I'll talk to you soon.